Beer Vana Show, broadcast in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. We join you from our respective homes. By the way, that was a mistake. I, that was my call. Uh, we're maintaining safe social distancing, and I decided that it probably wouldn't be warm enough to plan on like doing a backyard thing six feet away. That was not right. Yeah, you blew me off on that idea, and it's gorgeous <laughs> I outside. I know. I kind of waved you away. But man, would I like to be outside right now. It really sucks that I'm sitting here in this room. <laughs> Uh, and yes. I had to close the window because there's damn kids outside playing in front of the houses out here. Can you believe that? You know, kids. No these, respect. Kids no these respect. Days, exactly. Kids these days, they don't. They don't have any respect for middle-aged men podcasting about beer from their teenagers' bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> in my day, <laughs> we'd keep our trap shut. That's right. Although not true. All right. Well, we are from our respective homes, so uh, it's good to hear your voice, Jeff. And you too, Patrick. I don't know. You've taken out the intro, so now I don't know. Uh, my name is Patrick. I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I'm Patrick Emerson, uh, your host. And with Excellent. me is my is the color guy, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am Jeff. I'm mm. Jeff Allworth, uh, and you're Patrick Emerson. Yeah, you're an and, economist, and I'm a writer. Yeah, and you wrote some books, and there's one that's like called like something like beer beer encyclopedia, and there's uh, like. Um, what master brewers would tell you if they had to, something like that. That, that sound right? I know it's I know it's in your brain because we've done it 137 times. In the Widmer, today. and there's a Widmer thing. Um, it's like it's like uh, the way of the Widmer. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. beer Bible, secrets of master brewers, the Widmer way. Soon to be Excellent. beer Bible, New Testament's coming out. That's gonna be yep. awesome. It is. And in fact, if I could use this moment, since you gave me that wonderful intro, yeah. to, to mention that we are actually planning and, you know, knock on wood, COVID willing, for me to do a tour uh, of the country. Yeah, and, no, you can't use this moment to do that. Uh, I would like to mention that um, uh, there's there's places that I would like to visit that I don't have a uh, an immediate connection and I will be reaching out for people. So would like, this be this I, summer? Hopefully. Uh, it, it, the release date is September 14th, so it would be after September 14th. That's probably good. Yeah. And uh, I don't have great connections in Denver, believe it or not, or the Bay Area. Well, I hope uh, you're up in Denver. Uh, you don't have the kind of connections I need. Well, my brother used to be a brewer there. Right. That, <laughs> that's not helpful. I used to live there. Uh, but you're actually, what, what am I, you know? spurning a gift horse or something i'll take all the help you can get and anyone else so if you live in denver the bay area you have a brewery you'd like to uh invite me in that would be great um minneapolis also i'm gonna there is one brewery there that i might reach out to but um but if you're in minneapolis and you're you hear this and you are really excited please ping me uh because this is gonna be fun and i want to do some nice events uh where we can celebrate beer uh, in breweries instead of just uh kind of a a catch-all, which is somewhat of the events that I did the first time around. So anyway, give me a holler, Jeff at com if you have a brewery and you want to see me. So the itinerary is sort of wide open, like, you know, if someone called you from Poughkeepsie, you, uh, might, you might go to Poughkeepsie? Maybe Poughkeepsie. So uh, <laughs> I, I will, I, there, I'm going to, I'm going to have 10 stops. And if it, it, you know, if it's in one of those 10 stops for sure. And if it's near one of those 10 stops uh, for sure, if it's very far away, if you live in South Dakota, it might be a little bit hard to swing. Um, All right. So. All right. 
Yeah. So those are the constraints. Yes. As the, as the economist of the pair, it's good to know your constraints. Optimize subject to your constraints, I say. So I, just before we go on, we went on the air, you were completely unimpressed by my old little can opener here uh, that said Coors, America's fine light beer. This was prior to Coors Light. I thought that was a, an extraordinary artifact of Americana. <laughs> and you didn't. Uh, and I'm, I'm surprised. But it actually brought me thinking, so this is one of the things, the little triangle thingy where you can open up a can, you punch a little triangle in one side, and then you got to punch a little smaller triangle on the other side so that the air can get in. Those of, uh, <laughs> those of you listeners of a certain age will know what I'm talking about. But then I was thinking about all the ways in which can opening has evolved. So what I wanted to ask you is, do you remember the little punch thingy, punch hole thingies that you used to push in with your little thumb? No, I do not remember that. Or is that just a Canadian thing? I think I might remember that from Canada. Yeah, I don't think we had There were that. two. There was one in front and one in back. So this is like, an, instead of a triangle, you just have a little raised button thing and you'd push it in. <laughs> but then you had to push the one in the on the backside too, a smaller one on the backside too to let air in. This was one of those and I think, kind of like uh, interstitial technology. Someone's like, ooh, I know what we can do. I think, yeah, I think this was was uh, inter in between the pull tab and the technology we have now, which I don't know what the term of art is. Right. I, def I definitely remember the pull tab because uh, I watched my father dump about a half a ton of those across Idaho uh, over the years that I grew was growing up. <laughs> I remember pull tabs for two reasons. One, because the first thing you did with it usually is just dump, dump it right into the can, which is not very sanitary. At least that's what we used to do. You'd pull it because what else are you going to do with it? You're going to throw so you're going to throw it on the ground because it's the 1970s. That's what you're. The, the easy thing to do is just put it right back into the hole and let it sink down underneath the beverage. But then I would always be worried that I would like swallow, swallow it. it. Yeah. And, th and then the second thing I know about the pull tab is that I was cut by about 12 of Absolutely. them. Absolutely. They were like, they created a razor edge. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was terrible <laughs> like technology. Beach, like running around the beaches, you <laughs> all of a sudden step on one. Uh, okay. Good, good times. Yeah. Good times. And anyway. Uh, join, I, 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 join, join, it, join us next week on Patrick and Jeff talk about the old times. Hey, if you're going to talk about beer, you're going to talk about packaging. This is legitimate thing to talk about it's true and, and and you know the modern tech is actually incredibly impressive because uh we've got we've got all kinds of physics and geometry and whatnot with the with the current uh fulcrum uh pull tab thing and the, the scored Ooh, edge it, did you coin that that's good i like that uh the fulcrum yeah well no it is a fulcrum right well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that we don't have it. I didn't know the term of art, and I think you just invented it, so that's good. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the, the current thing is <laughs> called, but it, but it's, it's, it's actually a pretty highly efficient use of uh, technology to get that thing open. You know, they, I'm sure they had to figure out how to score it so it just wouldn't pop right open. Like, you know, it had to be scored enough that it would crack open, uh, but to, that it wouldn't be, uh, you know. Uh, a yeah. place and the shape open. has to be such that you don't need a second hole that you can get air in and liquid out at the same time totally yeah i mean we should have like a whole podcast on this we can bring in a, a, a <laughs> like a physicist a can open yeah a can opening engineer yeah and we can talk about it we can find out what happened to the big mouth ones or like whatever it was one of those many like budweiser things yeah we have a can that has an extra big opening so you can gulp because <laughs> since our beer doesn't taste like anything you might as well gulp it down that's right by the way i think the i think the kids have fudged off so i might even open my window here uh so we'll see but 
outside my window is my beautiful uh, cherry tree. It's almost done, but I have one of those uh, cherry trees that are like the ones in Washington, D.C. Or, or in Waterfront Park in Portland, beautiful pink blossoms. And that brings me to spring. And spring brings me to Kolsch. Ha! I'm not reading your script, but I, oh, I, 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 I was well aware of that. But I like the segue. It was a little bit, it was a little bit tortured, but you got there. We were all on the edge of our seat to see where you're headed, and then, yeah, like a big reveal, you got there. It is true, as your script says, that I have been moving very quickly towards lighter, more summery beers. Yeah. Uh, because the sun is now out, it's starting to warm, and kind of that first hints of warm sun on my skin makes me want those lighter summery beers. Indeed. Uh, yeah, which was interesting because you, you brought me a whole bunch of giant IPAs the other day, uh, which I also like, by the way. But uh, today we're going to discuss one of the all-time great session ales and a fine spring and summer beer to boot, Kolsch. That specialty from Köln or Cologne. <clears throat> I added that too, by the way. I saw that. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, it's all my sort of. I, I, I like it. Worldly, worldly wisdom. There. I considered throwing the Köln in there, but I didn't. Köln, Köln. Oh yeah, we're gonna. I can't remember who uh, uh, wrote in to correct our, our German. I think we're gonna get another. I think we're gonna get another letter. Absolutely. Letter soon. Absolutely. This is a hard one. Uh, yeah, uh, Alan Taylor can save us. You get the Kolsch from Köln, uh, <laughs> which is right near Bonn, which I know because I am a member of a research institute there. Indeed. Anyway, as much as a beer style, it is an amazing cultural force. So we'll discuss its history, the beer, and the way it's made, uh, and all those and all of those cultural elements that have grown up around it. Oh, this get this allows me to to uh, say my joke to um, uh, Alan Taylor and his kids in the back, uh, which. I, uh, I, I think I might have already revealed to you before, but uh, this is the one thing I remember from my, my, my high school German class. Okay, you ready? Yeah. What comes, <laughs> what comes between uh, fear and sex? I don't know. Funf. Ah! <laughs> 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 oh, that was so good. That's, I had to get that in. It's really terrible. Alan, Alan Taylor will appreciate that. Uh, Alan Taylor and uh, I sometimes talk, and he especially likes to talk after he's listened to our podcast. And recently he called, <laughs> and he, he often talks when he's driving his kids home after work. And he was recently, I was on his speakerphone in his car, and he said, my kids want you to pronounce that brewery in, in Germany. Uh, that, in, in Berlin that you were recently talking about. And they, they forced me to say it out loud so that I could hear the peals of laughter in the backseat. Really <laughs> delightful. Schnee well, that, that, that's a, my, my stupid joke. Schnee oh, say that again? Schneeuela. Yeah. yeah. La I, laugh I think, away, children. It, laugh away. No, I think you have it nailed. I don't <laughs> think they know what they're talking about. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my joke is just very simple. It's just the the, the, the German numbers eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf, sechs, sieben, acht, neun, zehn. Right. And that, by by the way, that's about fifty percent of the German I've retained. Very well done. You've got it right there. Yeah. <laughs> I can even go like to eleven and twelve too. Okay. Uh, we need to, we need to talk about Kolsch soon, but of course, before we do that, we have to talk about the news. Follow-up to show 136, we have a report on that draconian beer tax. Two legislatures, uh, legislators proposed the Oregon House. It's dead. 
Yeah. Yay. In the days uh, before it failed to make it out of committee, one of the two sponsors abandoned it, while uh, other legislature, leg- legislators pulled away from its extreme position. That's good news, but the nonprofit pushing the bill isn't likely to give up uh, after one try, and we're likely to see it again in the next uh, year or two uh, at a, in a future legislative session. So uh, anyway, yeah. there you go. If you remember, it was pretty extreme in sort of percentage terms. It was a giant hike, and that was probably the biggest mistake. Also, the timing is not great. Uh, in fact, I was just uh, listening to the radio this morning, and, and uh, a couple of our uh, Washington uh, folks, uh, Ron Wyden, the senator, and I think it might have been DeFazio, but I'm not sure. We're talking about a, a bill to help restaurants, and and uh, and they made special mention of uh, of breweries because they were in Oregon. Uh, DeFazio is, is is one of the originators of the original craft beer caucus in the House, so I bet it was DeFazio. Yeah, he's he's pretty sweet. So I think that I think the uh, I don't even think you know a small incremental increase in the tax is necessarily a bad thing, but but but. But this was sort of the uh, a little shooting for the moon. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears> I, I suppose. And I think that's I think that's uh, if they want to increase the tax, that's where they're going to have to land. Um, I think I don't think legislators will will get behind uh, one of those crazy tax hikes. No. Uh, yeah, and Oregonians are pretty proud of their craft beer industry, so you have to you have to tread lightly. That's right. In other news, are flavored malt beverages, including seltzer, beer? So long as they're made with a majority of malt as their base, they are considered so by the feds, who tax beer at $1.31 a case. That contrasts wine at $2.41 and spirits at $3.04. You can see why companies want these to be called beer. Behind the scenes, large companies are trying to shoehorn more and more beverages into that lower tax tier, despite what they're made with. It sparked uh, Jim, oh, I always get this wrong, Jim Cock, Coach, Cook? Cook. Cook, thank you. None of none of my attempts. No. By the way, I did like ten different ones. None of them were right. <laughs> Jim Jim Cook, the Boston beer guy, right? Yep. Uh, to rally the power players in beer to protect their space, which Cook sees as an existential th- threat. Now that flavored malt beverages are such a massive part of the alcohol landscape, boy, are they ever! Yeah. This is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. Indeed. Yeah, that came out uh, quite recently, actually. Uh, this kind of maneuvering behind the scenes, and and it it I actually saw in a news article today that uh, the flavor malt beverage category is fifteen, I think fifteen point seven percent of beer, which means that it is a large. Yeah, it's a larger than craft beer at this point already, <laughs> and it's growing. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. by the way, I think we've talked about this in the past, but of course. In my advanced age, I don't remember. Is, was Zima sort of the first one to take this sort of neutral malt alcohol and uh, and do something goofy with it, or were there? I, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, we we would have to dig deep into the archives for that one. I don't know. Uh, that that would be a great if anybody out there knows. That would be a great feedback uh, for us. Uh, you know, there have always been various tonics and elixirs to uh, attract people who don't like beer and you know you and I remember yes. wine coolers which was a version of this this category uh, that definitely predated Zima so I'm not sure yeah. if there were if there were malt ba- based ones I mean it makes a lot of sense yeah. when you see the tax incentives to try to figure out how to make it malt based because exactly when you see the taxes it kind of makes sense that wine coolers went away and, and then they developed something else with 
you know, uh, alcohol made, a neutral alcohol made from malted barley. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. By the way, uh, I just saw, and I don't remember which, maybe Fort George, uh, another local craft brewer is is uh, dipping their toe into the seltzer space. Yeah, I saw that too, but I couldn't tell. I, I thought it was a... Uh, it was it April 1st? I thought it was an April 1st <laughs> no. thing, I, so I'm not really sure. But then I saw people reporting out like it was real news. and, and then I, I don't really think I saw it on, on April 1st, but it could have been a, 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 a leftover. Yeah. I, well, I, I definitely saw other people report it out as though it were real news. And then I became really confused because I thought it was a great joke because it was they were talking about their barrel-aged <laughs> seltzer. And I thought, oh, that's really funny. And then I saw it being reported out and then I got confused. So I don't know. Oh, yeah. I actually didn't read it. Yeah. If, if it said barrel-aged seltzer, then yeah. <laughs> I imagine that is a, that is something left over from, from April 1st. Uh, okay. So never mind. <laughs> but let me put it this way. I'm not going to be at all surprised when some, uh, when some more craft, well, depending on how you want it to find craft brewers, uh, 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 get into this space. Like like Boston beer is already full into it, right? I can't remember which the one there is. Oh, they're truly, yeah. They're de- they're deep into they're it. They're truly. And there's yes. actually yeah. a lot of little breweries are doing this. And, and, and some of them are just doing it as a taproom only thing, uh, you know, uh, offering. They're not even packaging it up. Others are packaging it up, but it's becoming a bigger and bigger deal. Um, yeah, here's my, okay, so I'm going to give the this, this pro tip to all the the brew pub tap room people out there. So what you do is you just get the neutral base and then just have some nice like fresh juices on hand and then you just mix the neutral seltzer with some fresh juice. Bob's your uncle. There you go. That. Thousand thousands and thousands of dollars a day waiting for you for that. And I give it to you for free. <laughs> there, there it is. From your mouth to their <laughs> tanks. Yeah. So, by the way, what are what are the other things that are trying to sort of shoehorn their way into this? Like seltzer is definitely a malted beverage that's right so that that works but uh there are a lot of the canned cocktails and out and and spirits based things uh, and they're the ones that okay. are trying to get in there so you know your 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 smirnoff ice which i don't actually know if that's uh a uh i'm not sure what the base is but there are various spirits companies like like smirnoff gotcha. that are trying to get their you know create a, like a canned cocktail or a ready ready to drink rtd is a is an emerging category of like a uh, spirits-based thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, well, let's turn to our main topic, uh, which is Kolsch. Indeed. From Köln. <laughs> uh, so why don't you uh, why don't you get us started? Because um, I don't know much about Kolsch, and you know a lot. And you've never been to Cologne, is that right? Uh, I have been to the Cologne airport, but as I say, I'm a, I'm a, a research fellow at the the this uh, economics research institute in Bonn, which is sort of right next to Cologne. Um, but I've never actually spent time in Cologne proper, which is uh, a shame. Yeah, it is. I, it's next a, time I go, I'll definitely do that. I just haven't had time. It, it is a place that I think everybody should go who's interested in beer. Even, I mean, many people might think, well, Kolsch is not the most exotic kind of beer style in the world. And why would I want to go to Cologne just to see breweries that make the same style of beer all over the city? And yet I think that's actually one of the main reasons to go. It is really trippy to think about a city that has its own beer style uh, that is made in the environment of Cologne, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. really made or sold outside of Cologne. And within Cologne, it is very hard to find a beer that is not a Kolsch. And there's no accounting for this except local pride and culture. It's not like 
uh, it's illegal to sell there. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the you know Germany's <laughs> really free market economy, and yet um, you can walk around the city. Uh, there are around a dozen local breweries, and they all make one kind of beer, and that's it. And it's the only kind of beer you can get in Cologne, um, which is just really when you visit uh, one of the more remarkable kind of culture shocks, especially if you're coming from a place where you have access to tons of different beer styles, you know, uh, it's, it's just a really interesting experience to visit uh, a place like this. So I encourage with that preamble, I encourage everybody to go and I encourage you to go too, because it's, it's a trippy experience. And if you're right there in Bonn, you should just get your buns right up there to Cologne. I will do next time for sure. Uh, but let's talk about Kolsch, uh, which is, um, uh, so often you take a beer style and you start plucking at it and you unearth sort of the story of a country or a region of a country. And that's the case with Kolsch. It's a very, uh, kind of a, a, a great case study for how beer evolved in, uh, Germany, um, which in fact was not called Germany when, you know. Uh, before 1871, uh, it, were, mm-hmm. it was, you know, there was Prussia, there was, um, uh, Bavaria was kind of its own principality. And, you know, there were, there were different places. Uh, there was the Austrian empire and, um, ger- the German lands, you know, they kind of shifted and changed. Um, and yeah, there are lots of little principalities, right? Little city states and stuff. Yeah, that's right. And, made up and the whole area. I, I, and and Cologne was one of those city states. Uh, it was a free city um, from like uh, eleven, no, thirteen hundred to eighteen hundred, something like a long time, like five hundred years. So it it was able to kind of develop its own culture. So you know, you know, in a way, you can see why it would be so insular and be in a in a position to develop a, a native beer style. But before we get into Cologne, we can expand it a little bit more broadly and talk about what kind of beer was being brewed in the North. Everyone thinks about Germany as being a, a lager country, which it, it is, right. of course. But, um, you know, when if you go back to 1500 uh, AD, um, there were no lagers being brewed outside of Bavaria. It was entirely a Bavarian uh product and and not one that wasn't especially widely admired like it was considered kind of a backward region and people weren't clamoring to figure out what lagering was just a point of uh, uh clarity you mean there's only lagers in germany were being uh produced in bavaria yeah the only lagers if we go back 500 years the only lagers in the world were being made in, in the world were yeah. bavaria okay yeah thank you and you know cologne is actually really far from munich it's a lot further from yes. munich than it is like uh, even London, uh, but but certainly Brussels, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump um, when you compare it to Munich. And the kind of beers that were being made in that region looked a lot more like the beers that were being made then and even now in Brussels. You know, they were these ales that were funky and weird. They were wild. They might have had a bunch of stuff thrown in them, um, uh, you know, beans and fruit and they were made with without hops originally and you know they were really weird funky belgian style beers really um and and we talked recently about berliner weisse which is a style from berlin which is kind of an example of a northern ale that was being made a very funky very weird beer goza is another one from leipzig uh, made with salt and coriander also soured um very weird beers uh but one of the interesting trends that happened that started in in what is now Germany, um, in, in Bremen, 
which was a Hanseatic League city, was the use in commercial beer of hops. It was the first place where that really happened. Uh, And hops had been kicking around, but they hadn't really been harnessed for a commercial product before Bremen started using them. And it was partly because they tasted weird. Hops do taste weird. They're kind of an acquired taste. Um, They had been using Gruet, um, this kind of mixture of of, uh, botanicals to flavor beer before that. And they were sweeter and more, you know, kind of obviously culinary. And hops are weird and weedy and bitter and funky. Uh, to the untrained palate. But what wh- what happened was these Bre- this Bremen beer would go on ships and it would start going, you know, out uh, out into the Baltics and, you know, down the Rhine and it would go pretty far away and it would be tapped in local markets and it would stay fresher longer than the local beer. And people, local publicans started to really admire that quality about it. Uh, it was not nearly as perishable. And eventually that quality became the the hallmark of uh, you know beer people realized that it was a had this preservative quality so northern the the, the northern part of what we now call germany uh, was a place of where, where hops were really popular and there was a, a beer called bitter beer that kind of was a category that that grew out of that bremen beer which was just heavily hopped ales that were that were made um, not not limited to a specific city. It was kind of a, a, a category of beer that was being made for uh, centuries after uh, the adoption of, of hops. Yeah, so I've talked a long time. Say something. Well, <laughs> I didn't want to cut you off. You're on a roll. I was just going to, I was just going to center Cologne uh, for our listeners who don't know Germany well. It's, it's in Western Germany. It's very close, as you mentioned, very close to uh, uh, to France and um uh in the region of Westphalia I believe yeah which by the way uh, interesting fact for the listeners um uh this the German state of Westphalia was named after the Volkswagen camper van <laughs> that's that's exactly what I thought when I noticed it yeah. on my Volkswagen camper van <laughs> oh Westphalia that's where they got that name <sighs> Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just couldn't stop thinking about that, uh, which doesn't have much to do with beer, except no. that we both we both uh, owned combis with campers. E- yeah. Exactly. So. I was about to say, little known fact, we were both uh, proud owners of 19, I think yours was 78. Is that right? Mine, uh, mine was, uh, no, mine was 1976. Okay. Maybe mine was a 78. Um, they were not quite the same year, but they had... Much in common. It was like I think it was 1979. I think they changed and made it a, a water cooled. So then everything, then it, then it all died. Like there's no right. And, and mine was green, and yours was orange. If memory serves. No, mine was green as well. Uh, we had very similar looking ones. But your yours was cool because you had the little cool uh, little uh, uh, heater that they put in there. Yeah, so aftermarket propane and, heater. Totally. Yeah. So you could just sit there and like be nice and toasty warm. I always envied that. I particularly envied that when when I had my camper van in, in <laughs> Wisconsin, and in in the sub zero, literally sub zero temperatures, sub zero Fahrenheit temperatures, uh, the the uh, transmission would get so sticky, would almost freeze, and I could barely get it into gear. Uh, you'd have to like use all your might just to slam that thing into gear. Totally. Uh, yeah. And if anyway. you and you could, of course, sit there and let it warm up forever, but uh, it never actually really warmed up enough to do to change anything because the oh no 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 the actual engine heat was pathetic yeah and, yeah and it was so I would I would always be called I could be driving that thing for two hours in Wisconsin and still be freezing <laughs> cold inside <laughs> absolutely because yours yours you could fire on your little 
propane heater and if you didn't die from carbon monoxide poisoning, you would actually be warm. So Absolutely. It was anyway, that has nothing to do with Kolsch. I was going to ask you, uh, but, I, that, but I didn't want to sort of get too far ahead. But uh, in Cologne, there's lots of different varieties of Kolsch. Are they, uh, to your palate, probably so, but are they uh, uh, pretty distinct? Um, or are they all very similar with very subtle differences? They're pretty distinct. And uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. And it makes me think that maybe we should drink our begin drinking our beer. What do you think of that? Ah, so now you figured out my subtle yeah, yeah. <laughs> my subtle cue. <laughs> I, I was trying to figure out how to get to the can of beer that we have in front of us as well, uh, and you did it. So well done. Do you have the same one that I have, by the way? I do. It was the only Kolsch okay. I could find, and and it was it is not uh, gigantic Kolsch Tastic, which um, is a favorite of ours, and I meant to track down but did not so sorry gigantic it's a big fave but uh yeah but by the way uh because you mentioned that i think we might have had a kolsch on air when we had uh, van havig of gigantic in an, in an earlier podcast you can go look that up it's true it's possible uh what we have though is occidentals kolsch another local brewery uh and one of the beers i think that they launched with pretty early on so Okay, we have we have dueling microphones. We do. I think yours is doing a better job than mine. Two pours at the same time. Ah, lovely. Yeah, normally we would be just be drinking the same beer, but we had to have two beers because we're a few miles apart. You know, we've been doing this podcast for what, like two years, three years? We've been doing it for a while now. Longer and, than that, uh, my friend. Longer than that. And we finally, you know, it finally occurred to us that if we actually recorded our podcast on a Friday afternoon, <laughs> right? That might that might sort of the synergy of Friday afternoon and having a podcast where we drink beer might work better. It, so it, I'm yeah. It all. I was eager. I was eager to get to the point where we opened. We we talked about the beer. Okay, so you've we're gonna pause the history for a minute. Yep. And let's just talk about the characteristics of what Kolsch is. What what should I be what should I be noticing? When I open my Kolsch. So if you're uh, if you're in Cologne, I like to say that there are there are kind of four points of, of character that that mark the col- the Kolsch. We'll talk about how loggers would eventually inflect the beers uh, of Cologne to tilt them towards Kolsch. What they resulted in was a really clear uh, lager looking beer right so it looks like a it looks like a hellas um typically in cologne they're all perfectly perfectly bright not hazy at all in the united states a lot of times brewers don't bother uh, cleaning them up perfectly um but in cologne they'll be golden a little bit darker than probably a hellas uh, right. uh and the flavor notes you should have the gentle fruitiness that you get from yeast yeah, you get those esters. Uh, yeah, a little, but they're subtle. They're not like mm-hmm. really profound, and part of that comes from uh, the the process, which we'll talk about. Uh, okay. They should have yeast, or they should have hop character. Uh, some is very subtle, and some is quite aggressive. But um, mm-hmm. I, I I think that it's uh, it should be a classic European uh, noble zesty kind of herbal spicy classic classic German hop. The malt should be present as well. So all of these are, are are not super intense flavor components, but they should be present and noticeable. You should be able to kind of tick them off in your mind, like okay, let's see what's what's the malt like now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're often pretty toasty, um, 
as opposed to more grainy lager malts. They're kind of some right. have a little bit of toast in them. Right. And then one thing that I noticed, and I only noticed this uh, by traveling to Cologne, was that the water is quite hard there, and it will mm. contribute a minerality, which sort of ties everything together nicely because it gives the hops a little bit more stiffness. Um, it makes it gives that wonderful crisp finish, um, and it and has its own kind of uh, you know character that it contributes. So you, you yeah, that's interesting. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that that's not, that's the one thing that I think like local versions around here don't have. That's ex Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. And it was the thing that really contrasted with the local ones that I'd had when I got there. I noticed it was like, oh, it's nice hard, hard water they use here. And I consulted with the brewers uh, that I, I met with there and they, they agreed. Yeah, hard water is, is, a, is a cologne thing and um, it, it expresses itself in the beer. So you can notice it when you're there. But yeah, uh, in terms of how you balance those different things, this is where the magic happens. And it's why going to Cologne is so much fun because every brewery will do it differently. And the locals all have their favorites. Uh, they may have more mm. than one favorite, but they like a brewery that has a hoppier palate or a fruitier palate or a more balanced. Like one of my favorites is Fru, F-R-U with an umlaut uh, H. Um, mm -hmm. which you can sometimes try in the United States. I got to tell you, no Kolsch that you find in the United States tastes anywhere near as good as it does in Cologne. It's not a, it's not, it's like Cascale. It's not a beer style. You just have to go. Right? You just, you do have to go. It doesn't, I mean, it, it actually does better than Cascale here, but, um, but the, but the, the liveliness of all the flavors is dulled by the time it gets here. Uh, and I think Fru has uh, exquisite balance on all of these things. Um, uh, and, and, and in particular, I, I love the way the, the fruitiness and the hops interact with fruit. So it's kind of my favorite, but I mean, a gaffle is a little bit hoppier and Reisdorf is uh, a little bit less hoppy. And so people really have their, their favorites. And uh, you, you know, if you're used to hazy IPAs and, and barrel aged stouts and you show up in Cologne, they're going to all taste the same. So you got to stay there a couple of days and then, and then all of a sudden uh, you recalibrate your palate and boom, you see all the different, all the difference. And it, yeah, that's, that's actually, that was going to be my follow-up precisely, which is at first, uh, they might all taste the same, but I imagine after you've lived with them for a day or two, then you really start seeing the differences. Yeah, totally. And uh, it's a re I think that's a really fun process. So, uh, so I, the one, we have, in, yeah, the one we have in front of us ticks most of those boxes. It's very uh, 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 light, but not like super macro lager light mm -hmm. <laughs> you said you said hella slight uh it's pretty bright um as you mentioned it's not like perfectly uh, uh bright beer but it's 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 a delightful color very effervescent um still in my glass still bubbling away uh and you definitely get the fruitiness of the yeast uh coming through but subtly mm -hmm. and uh this one is uh um, you know, probably tip, typically fairly, the hops are pretty present. Uh, the can says they use uh, Perla hops. Mm -hmm. Which is classic hop, uh, good, good, very good choice. And the malt is a little more subdued in this case. I would say these. But, this would be on the lower end of the hops, uh, even, even even for Cologne. So, Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So they really, they really are present. Yes. The, uh, you know, they're, they're, this is probably has more hops than Reisdorf, which is, in my experience, kind of the least. Uh, so it's not at the very bottom, but, um, but they've, mm -hmm. they've gone for a more subdued palate here, which is interesting in the United States. And I, I give Occidental credit. They didn't just, you know, make a <laughs> an IPA Kolsch. They, they, really, they really went for 
Yeah, I mean, these days they finally figured that out in a lot of, you know, the loggers and, and pilsners and stuff from the Northwest. Uh, because early on, you know, the instinct for Northwest brewers was just to throw a ton of hops in. But this this culture's been around forever, so they they had that instinct from the get-go, which is pretty impressive. It is impressive, yeah. And I think the malts here uh, have that quality of toastiness that... Uh, yes, they're not rustic. They're... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, it's lovely. It's such a nice summer beer because of all those elements that mingle together, particularly the... Uh, the ale aspect of the of the fruity esters and the yeast, yeah, and those just make it such a nice beer. Those are those are fun to look at, and you become a little bit more attuned to those when you're there. And I was taking when I was in Cologne, I was taking notes about what the esters that I found, and I found they kind of clustered around this this range of flavors. They seemed, you know, of course they all have their own yeast strains, so they're slightly different. But um, I mm-hmm. was getting things like melon and pear, white wine, grape. Uh, quince, uh, Mm. things like that, you know, that kind of stone fruit to melon to uh, whatever the hell quince is. I don't know what a quince is. Yeah, I I was going to say, I don't know how to characterize it, but sort of that soft fruitiness. Exactly. As as opposed to kind of the sharp citrus fruitiness. Right, right. Like a pastel fruitiness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a good one. Actually, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think about melons, pears, white grapes, you know, they have that sort of fruity sweetness, but it's not like a real sharp thing. Right. Or super distinctive, or really dank, dank like uh, yeah, um, some stone fruit. Right, right, yeah. Some of those English strains give very intense fruitiness, and it's not like that. Like yeah, like really yeah. So this peachy. is uh, uh, this is lovely. Uh, 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 the the Kolschtastic from um, Gigantic is also f- uh, one of my all time favorites. It's it's amazing as well. Um, I don't know how much. How much do you think? Uh, we got to get back to the history, but <laughs> uh, how much do you think uh, American drinkers are drinking Kolsch these days? You know, it, it is one of those interesting styles. It's always curious to me, speaking of culture, to see how much fidelity a, a brewer, uh, the United States will will commit to a particular style. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that completely we talked about Berliner Weisse. That completely corrupt Berliner Weisse. It's, it's it's hard to find breweries that want to make traditional versions goes the same way yeah. uh but kolsch amazingly has been a style that americans seem to really treat with respect and try to recreate you know in a in a, in a way that's got a lot of fidelity to the original that's certainly the case in, in the united states or in the northwest which i have to say it weirdly uh is kind of a home to some of the really good kolsches in in the country um, and I, I don't know why that's the case. And it's been a case for a while. Like people have lo- liked Kolsch's here for a long time and, and really traditional ones. So go figure. It's, it's cool. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, there might be also a, a, a link to homebrewing. Uh, uh, I mentioned your book, Secret of the Master Brewers, which is essentially a, a companion for homebrewers who want some advice from the pros. Uh, see how I worked in a plug for you. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but I was just going to say that Kolsch was always one of my favorite, especially early on homebrewing, one of my favorite styles because I felt uh, the most successful. It was, um, uh, 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 I was more able to make what I considered a pretty good beer trying to do Kolsch than <laughs> some of the other things I tried early on, particularly. So I wonder if there's a lot of homebrewers like that who, who uh, Kolsch was one of those beers. It's one of the first beers for me I really looked at. I was like, oh, wow. I really like what I brewed. <laughs> right. Rather than, oh, this is cool. I brewed this. 
it's all right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is a wonderful style of beer because it has a lot of complexity in a really simple beer. You know, you don't have a lot of yeah, hops, you don't have a lot exactly. of malt, but you're getting, you know, these, these different uh, flavor components that really must be present. Um, and, and you're playing with fruitiness of the yeast, which is something different than pale lagers, where you don't really get as much uh, expressiveness from the yeast. You get some, of course, but you don't get, it doesn't become its own flavor characteristic where, you know, in one in one beer you get an ester that tastes like melon and another one you get it that tastes like quince. It's, uh, it's much more, uh, you know, lager tastes like lager. So yeah. they are, I think, especially for brewers who kind of fall in love with them, um, you have you have all these levers to pull, uh, and you can make them within a within a narrow band. But uh, you can you can definitely make them your own and give them you know quite a bit of character. Yeah, so yeah, they're cool. So uh, uh, I'm going to actually take you back because I, I I hijacked the conversation. But you were talking, as I recall, <laughs> about bitter beer and then bitter lager beer, sort of the 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 use of hops into beer and how that kind of uh, uh, made its way into Kolsch. Yeah, so the uh, bitter beer was this 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 category of beer that was being brewed in the north, which was just highly uh, highly hopped beer. Uh, it wasn't always hopped. There was a beer called Merseburger, which had a gentian root in it, um, which, which is a, a, another kind of bittering herb, and it was very very famously very very bitter beer. Um, but then an interesting thing happened in the 19th century. Of course, uh, pilsners became popular, and they started going everywhere. And as they moved their way north from Bohemia and then to finally to, they finally got to uh, Bavaria. Bavarians finally uh, grudgingly started making paler lagers. <laughs> um, then they started making it north. And that's when uh, when Kolsch changed. It was a dark, bitter beer was a dark beer. And the, the beer uh, that is brewed in Dusseldorf, which is just 25 miles up the Rhine, up or down, up or down. Up, isn't it? North, I think. At Dusseldorf from Cologne? Yeah. Oh, well, I will just uh, tell you from my encyclopedic knowledge of the uh, uh, of the Rhine River, but uh, I don't know which way. Wait, the, the Rhine must flow south, yeah? Nor- Dusseldorf is to the north and Bonn is to the south. That much I know. Okay. There you go. Both along the Rhine. So I assume the Rhine flows from north to south. That's the one it, it, bit that I can't. It does. And uh, Dusseldorf and Cologne are sister cities. And in, and in Dusseldorf, they make alt beer, which is also a beer that goes back to bitter beer, but it is a dark beer. And the alt beer, old beer, really refers to that that older tradition. Whereas mm-hmm. in, Col- in Cologne, they started making them out of paler malts uh, to really compete with the pilsners that were coming up. Right. And that, ha- that started happening in the 19th century. And then as early as the 1900s, you had what beers that were recognizable as Kolsch's. Uh, they were just pretty darn bitter and that bitterness yeah. the kind of aggressive bitterness lasted all the way up until the 1960s and then it started to tail hmm. off uh and, and even though there are still even now there are still some 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 you know pretty hoppy versions but um but it, yeah that's interesting because like long before the 1960s all of these you know this german pilsners came along which were very subtly hopped right um so it's interesting that it persisted as a super bitter beer for that long. Well, yeah, it's because it was the traditional style. So that it was bitter beer that became pale. Right. Uh, but then the other interesting thing that happened was they started lagering it. So to smooth it out uh, and give mm-hmm. it a little bit more smoothness. So they would ferment uh, at ale temperature, you know, uh, or 
around 64, 65, definitely right. below 70, but, um, but warm, uh, you want those esters, but then they would, they would be, they would log it, logger it. And that's the characteristic of, of Kolsch today. Uh, and in fact, the Germans have a wonderful name, which I will butcher now. Uh, everyone <laughs> ga- ga- gather around. Ob- <laughs> Alan Taylor and your kids get ready. That's Here we right. go. Obergariga lager beer. So top fermented lager beer, uh, is how they kind of cast the beer. So it has that crisp character that you get from lagering, uh, even though the, the esters are still present. Um, Americans often call it a hybrid style, and I think that's just wrong. I think Obergariga lager beer is a much better way to think of it. It's a it's a lagered ale, really. Yeah, more fun to say, too. It's way more fun to say, even if you're saying it wrong. <laughs> uh, and, and, and it was interesting, even up into the 1960s, Cologne was still making a bunch of different styles. They are making Pilsners and other things. Uh, and that's when, but that's when it started to shift toward a kind of city style. And then in 1985, uh, there was this thing called the Kolsch Convention uh, with K's, uh-huh. K's on both of them. And that was when all the breweries, so that people were starting to make Kolsch outside of Cologne and mm. people in Cologne were starting to make crude versions of Kolsch. And so to prevent debasement, which was the word, the, Eng- the, the translation of the word, I'm not sure what it was in German, but that's the word you always see in English. Uh, they, the brewers gathered together and created a list of uh, qualities that Kolsch had to have to be called Kolsch. And, yeah. and part of it was it had to be made in the city limits of, of Cologne. And if it wasn't, it couldn't be called Kolsch. But, but there were other characteristics as well, which just had to do with quality and, uh, you know, kind of how strong it was and, and various things like that. Uh, and, and, and so then by, you know, by the 80s, it's starting to become very dominant. And, and until today, now it's, it's the only beer that you can really buy in Cologne. Um, though there are, there are a couple of craft breweries that have opened and are selling other stuff. But you know, dotted all over the city are these giant pubs, these giant halls of Kolsch, kind of like (laughs) (laughs) amazing temples to Kolsch. Uh, and they're, they're fantastic to visit. Um, and you know, inside they have, I mean, it's, it's one of the great drinking cultures. Um, I'll stop here before I go into the great drinking culture and we can, we can finish with that. But, um, do you have any I'll let you get it. Well, I was just going to say that uh, that that sort of big push to kind of preserve the cologne-ness of Kolsch uh, is probably why in a lot of American versions, you'll see uh, the brewers being very deferential in, in calling them like Kolsch-style ales or right. uh, something like that. Yeah. 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 And many people do call them Kolsch. And uh, I think that, you know, the Germans have just kind of given up on that. <laughs> uh, but I think if the, the more respectful breweries here do call them Kolsch style. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, it's a night, it's a nod to the originals. And I think it's probably important to, to do that. It's, uh, there's, there's no real, <laughs> it's not really a beer style that has to be made in Cologne. So just to button this up, I'll say, if you go, the culture is one of the most amazing things to see. You go into one of these giant halls. I highly recommend the Fru, Fru on Dome, which is right next to the amazing cathedral, which is one of the most impressive sites in Germany. Uh, mm-hmm. the dome and, uh, you, you walk into a place and they're only serving Kolsch, right? There's, it's not like you look at the beer menu, you, you, your choice is Kolsch and it's not like they have strong <laughs> Kolsch and light Kolsch and dark Kolsch and hoppy Kolsch and hazy Kolsch. It's just Kolsch. So you don't, there's no, there's no choice about what to, 
get. And they walk around with these little trays, which looked a lot like communion trays to me. I was really reminded of being a child and seeing the communion trays. They're metal uh-huh. trays, and they have the little little holes. Uh, and then the glasses sit in the holes. And the glasses, which are called shtanga, are like rods, which I believe is the, the German word that comes over, like stick or rod. They're mm-hmm. completely straight up and down uh, cylinders. And they put those right. in there. And when they see that you're low, they just drop a glass in front of you and put a tick mark on your on your beer coaster uh and you, you know you you sometimes you can you can give the the waiter a, a little nod or a glance at your glass and boom you get a stanga uh and it, you know if you're if you don't want anymore if you're done you can you can uh you know put your hand over your your last class or your coaster over your last class or just wave the waiter off they're they're very good about that but but it's really designed for these and, and they're 0.2 liters so they're not giant glasses and the idea right. is you know you just you, you drink them while they're fresh and and effervescent and, and cool and you just get a lot of them and they just keep coming and coming and coming and then at the end of the day they the waiter will come around and tote up the the tick marks and then that's what you pay uh and it's just it's it's quite a remarkable scene to see this dance of these these uh these waiters cruising around with the, the trays and uh delivering just crazy amounts of kolsch all over the place <laughs> well it's not a big beer it's not a heavy beer so yeah i mean you could drink a lot of point uh, uh you know uh, two tenths of a liter of stang what stanga is that what you said yeah stanga uh, stanga of be of kolsch and uh you could have quite a few of those before uh yeah, absolutely, but, and 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 in Dusseldorf they also have the same kind of glassware, but they're 0.25, uh, and there's a big oh. exactly. So there's this big rivalry between the two cities and the beers, <laughs> and uh, when you're in Dusseldorf, they make a big point that ours are 0.25 bigger. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get those wimpy corn ones. Exactly. Come to Dusseldorf, we'll give you. Yeah, there's much more. Because oh, my Hans and Franz accent comes out whenever I try to talk like a German. Okay, excellent. And that's <laughs> and that's Kolsch. And you should go to everyone should go to Cologne if you have a chance uh, and and experience it. It's just extraordinary. Uh, that sounds fantastic. I want to go. Yeah, it's it, it sounds is. like it. Uh, it's a it's a year round beer, obviously there because it is the beer there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we talk about it as a summer beer around here, but. Um, uh, 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 given the fact that you're in like a big beer hall, I don't think it matters what what season you're in, right? No, I mean, I, yeah, it's a good point. It's not it, it, it's not exactly the kind of beer that I would I would like in in December, but uh, but it's the it's what Kölners drink in December, I guess. So yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, you know, humans like variety, and that's one of the things that just is so gobsmacking to me i mean i get that people love this beer and they're proud of it and they want to have it available everywhere but it's you just could not imagine this happening in the united states where everybody no. just agrees on mass to say nope we're not drinking anything but this one beer it's just hard to imagine but it has to have everything to do with the fact that it was like a city state for for centuries right like uh uh it, it was its own it, it was its own culture. I mean, it, within the city walls, right? Uh, so that's got to, I mean, we don't have anything obviously like that in, in the U.S. Right, yeah. Um, but the, you become a very, very strong sort of local culture. And I think that's also, I mean, that was kind of my, I don't know Germany that well, but that was a little bit my impression. You know, Bavarians are very proud to be Bavarian. <laughs> totally. <right>? Like, <laughs> uh, 
you know, Germany is like a modern construct and it's based on a whole bunch of old principalities and things like that. So it's interesting to me that those things can persist even in this such a modern fluid society. But, um, you know, I think that the, the kind of dilution of regional culture in the U.S. has a lot to do with how, how much we move around. And I think that's probably much less still in, in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. That's another big factor. I think you're exactly right about that. And that's what's kind of cool is that you can go, I mean, if, if, if you work hard to preserve your culture, you can go and still sort of enjoy those, those bastions. It's not just like one little restaurant here off in a corner, but it's like a whole, a whole, uh, a whole community that's part of this culture. So I would like to go just to see that as much as to sample the great beer. Totally. Yeah. I have to tell you one more thing about local culture. We, yeah. uh, <laughs> when we were in Cologne, uh, visiting the Reisdorf brewery afterwards, the, the guy said, Hey, you want to go to one of our pubs? I'll buy you dinner. And he said, Oh, of course, that's great. So of course I say what I would say anywhere in the world, which is what's a local specialty. What should I, what should I order f- for dinner tonight? And he said, Oh, our blood sausage for sure. That's, that's, that's classic. And um, then I realized, oh, I should find out what the local specialty is before I just commit to it, before having heard about <laughs> it <laughs> at all. And I had my first blood sausage there, which I have to say I did not like at all. But um, I had the same. I had the same experience in France, where I went to a place where they were uh, uh, famous for their andouille sausage. So it's basically like a whole bunch of entrails like squeezed together. <laughs> And it's like super chewy and it's just like, to me, I'm sorry, I, you know, I, I like a lot of different foods, but it's just the gro- most, it was so gross. I just like, I couldn't, you keep chewing and chewing and chewing and still it doesn't break down because it's all this <laughs> awful stuff they put in there. But anyway. Uh, awful indeed. Uh, awful. <laughs> yeah. So Fun you, get all my, you get all my subtle and sly references. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that sounds amazing. Find a local culture near you. That's right. I, I think I feel like that. I mean, they're one of the things that have kind of persisted, and now loggers are kind of seeing this this craft logger uh, renaissance, if you will. Maybe it's not a renaissance. Maybe it's just a first wave of craft loggers. Uh, that culture will sort of uh, will find a niche too. I hope so. Uh, I, I do know that that it's one of those styles that brewers especially really love, and I've talked to brewers who who feel like it, you know it's the style they super love. Uh, you know, we, we talked about uh, Gigantics and Van Havoc will will bend your ear for half an hour about how great Kolsch is, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Bolt Minister at fifty four forty, who we talked about recently, um, also is a Kolsch fanatic. So it you know it's a it's a style that has a lot of love from the producer, and I think I think customers uh, in, enjoy it because it's it's lager like, but it's got a little bit more depth and it's got that fruitiness, which is familiar. So it, it's a fantastic beer style. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, well, thank you for that. Um, we should probably now turn to uh, the mailbag, indeed, of which of which is. Uh, not empty, which is fantastic. Thank you for We put out a call and you, you responded, so thank you. And keep them coming. Uh, we love to hear from you. Compliments, criticisms, questions, whatever you have. Suggestions like, in particular, we would love to hear that. That's right. What do you want what do you want us to talk about? Uh, we will talk about it. Yeah. All right. So the first uh, mailbag entry comes from Zach, who's in Portland. Uh, hi Zach. What do you make of AB InBev buying and then selling off homebrew supply wholesalers like Northern Brewer? Many suspected it was to gain insight into brewing trends after their series of declining sales at regional craft breweries they acquired. 
Working in our homebrew shop, it seems to me that the average homebrewer is more likely to be inspired to brew a certain style by something they drank from a brewery than to be setting the stage for the next brewing trend. Maybe it's there. I just don't see commercial craft brewers getting inspired by homebrew clubs. Yeah, so this is good. I'm glad I read this because you got to answer this one. Yeah, so just to give a little background, there's a uh, it's a it's an online site, Northern Brewer, where uh, you can buy a lot of mm-hmm. homebrew stuff. I think you and I have done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've used, I'm gonna say I think you're familiar with this place. Yeah, uh, yeah. And ABN bought it. And I, uh, Zach's email was a, a little bit longer, and I I, I cut it off a bit. Uh, but um, you know, he he was pointing out that it seems like home brewers aren't leading the industry that much. So what more, what kind of insight could you get from that? They're, they're don't have a whole lot to do with commercial production. And I guess, yeah. I guess my, my comment is I think maybe they do in the sense that when you look at um, many of the great trends that have, that have come into craft, the craft brewing space, especially mm-hmm. uh, home brewers were definitely doing, doing them first. So the, the juicy, uh, the juicy phenomenon, the hazy and the juicy thing. Home, mm-hmm. Homebrewers were doing that first. Um, they were doing it before it became a commercial phenomenon. Um, there, you know, there's just really, yeah, absolutely. They were they were doing. Uh, oh, there's a term where you don't use a bitter charge, <laughs> uh, which my my feeble brain is not going to remember. But um, it was something that was. But you don't use a bitter charge. Yeah, where you don't use a bitter. It's charge. all late edition. All late edition, and they were the first ones to do it. And I remember even hearing. Uh, professional brewers saying, "Oh yeah, home brewers do this crazy thing. It's totally stupid. They don't know what they don't. They don't know, they, they don't know anything about beer. They don't know how to make beer. So of course they're doing this dumb thing. And you know, and now of course that's uh, pretty common among commercial breweries. So, but still, do you think do you think by owning Northern Brewer, you would you would tap into those trends? No, uh, maybe? Well, I, maybe I think you know if you really were looking for." Something that's that, that, it, that something interesting that's happening that hasn't yet happened in the commercial space. Uh, Homebrewers will definitely be doing it now. Whether you can identify which trend has commercial appeal uh, from yeah. what homebrewers doing is another matter. Um, but I mean, one of the things that I I, I I hammer pretty hard when I'm talking about why uh, craft beer. I know there's many criticisms of the the, the entire uh, kind of. Ca- mental category of craft as though it's some something other than just beer beer mm-hmm. but if you're a little brewery uh, if you look at the little breweries and the big breweries and you think about what what has caused the markets to shift what has where, where have styles created it's always with little breweries right it's the little breweries who can afford to experiment and screw around because they're making mm-hmm. beer in five barrel batches or you know, maybe even 10 or 15, but still small batches that they know that they can sell. Um, it's very hard for, for large industrial breweries to innovate because the, you know, it's just way too expensive to throw stuff out onto the market. Um, so trying to figure out, trying to get some insight into what's happening on a small level um, makes some sense to me if, if that was their thinking. So that's the only, <laughs> the only reason I can think uh, that there might've been a strategic purpose behind their, they're thinking there. I have a slightly uh, different interpretation, uh, but similar. So Northern Brewer, uh, the reason I ended up with them is because I'm lazy and I'm kind of an introvert. And so I'm just surfing the web. But I think, you know, mostly what I've bought from them is some brewing equipment. Right. But they kind of have the most, the biggest presence on the web, at least at the time. I, I don't know now. But they're sort of a big, a big 
uh, uh, well engineered, well designed. Yeah, it's uh, like online it, it, for homebrewers. It's like the Amazon.com of, of brewing equipment. Yeah, exactly, and it's well done. You know, they're, they're well done, and I'm guessing that uh, you could imagine if I was. You know, I always think about like uh, you know, I'm I'm the dude like coming up with this idea that we should acquire Northern Brewer. So I have my pitch in the C-suite and, you know, right. And so here I am and I'm thinking, okay, so this is going to be great. Like we're going to be able to have this online connection with all of these brewers, home brewers, right. Around, around the country, we can maybe start like, uh, you know, uh, discussion boards and blogs and things like that. And we can have this sort of two-way conversation and we can be sort of involved in this part of the beer culture. And then that also might buy us some credibility. I don't know how visible they were as owners of Northern Brewer, but maybe then that also sort of will buy us. I doubt it's as much that two-way street that, that people will start ex- respecting AB more, but, uh, but just kind of this way that they can sort of tap into this ground ground level. So it's kind of like what you're saying, but I think it has, I imagine it has to do with the platform as well. Just like, this is a way that we could tap into this. You know, we don't need a thousand people out there talking to homebrewers. You just need this one site that homebrewers are going to, to get equipment and supplies and things like that. And we'll, and, and we'll learn a lot that way. Yeah. Who knows? Who yeah. Knows? I don't, it, uh, that's a good theory. Uh, I, I, oh, thank you. I, I'm with Zach in that when I heard the announcement that AB had, had purchased Northern Brewer, I thought, what? is going on that doesn't make any sense to me and no (laughs) it doesn't except it was probably like you know as a drop in the bucket right oh yeah you know we can do that no problem and that Uh, and that's that's potentially another explanation is that they were just investing in everything to do with beer they were buying publications they were buying homebrew shops or buying breweries Buy, buy it all and just see what shakes out that's another yeah that's a possibility too yeah just sort of just sort of become really involved in that whole space like yeah, like uh, which one did they buy? Beer Advocate or something? Uh, I think uh, I think uh, Rate Beer was their first one. Rate Beer. Okay, so yeah, so just get yeah, getting involved in all that space, sort of understanding, you know, that's the way that we can figure out what people want, what's coming next. Da da da. Not that they're going to do anything with it. I always think of, by the way, I think of this big sort of macro breweries. This is like this big giant freight train that's moving along, and there's no time to stop the train. And, you know, and take a left turn and I don't know, I'm going to torture this metaphor. But the idea is like this train is moving. It's moving at 100 miles an hour and you just got to keep feeding that, you know, that boiler or whatever. <laughs> you got to right. keep shoving, shoving coal into it. You got to still, you got to pump that Bud Light out and it's, it's just driving this stuff. And, you know, and when you're in that dynamic, there's no time to sort of stop and take, uh, and take a, take a flyer on this, this kind of beer and then sit on it, you know, work on it for an for a year and work on building up customer loyalty and introducing customers to it there's just no time no patience for that they, you just can't do it uh we talked to, to you know when we talked to josh noel about the whole goose island thing that sort of like let's just go buy someone who does this and then maybe we can leverage that into something bigger but right. even now i'm not even sure how much they're really sort of thinking that these little regional brands like 10 barrel in our neighborhood will uh will just take off or how much we're just going to sort of be in that space for um you know regionally and if that makes sense like yeah. i don't think i'm not sure they're still thinking they're going to build a, a big national brand out of one little craft brewer that's going to suddenly fill that whole you know space of ipas for them and i'm sure they did their their due diligence on northern brewer and it probably looked like a no risk thing like it makes money so you know it's not like we're gonna very little risk here we might as well just invest in this see what we learn and, and move on maybe. yeah so all right, next one. Uh, next one comes from Mike Haynes, who uh, is the founder at Vertigo Brewing in Hillsboro, and he 
posted this via Twitter uh, after uh, some of our our COVID talk, uh, and he was just sort of thinking out loud. Uh, And he wrote, just the seed of an idea. During the pandemic, our customers have carried us on their shoulders. During Togo only, they easily could have just bought grocery store beer, but they came here to help us out. Not exactly sure how this is a story, but we owe them our very existence. We definitely know we owe them a a debt of gratitude and we'll figure it out. We're uh, not out of the woods with this mess yet. Uh, Yeah, I've heard this a lot, actually. Yeah. um, That it's uh, that breweries and brew pubs and stuff that really had to pivot um, have have had uh, a lot of uh, loyal customers um, stick it out and keep and keep ordering beer and keep keep staying local and keep going to the source, which is fantastic. It really is, and that says, a, and as an economist, that says a lot about what craft beer means to consumers. It's not just the beer in the can, but it's the whole thing, right? It's the fact that you're supporting local people. It's the fact that this is kind of an artisanal product and you're interested in the people who are doing it and supporting those people and their vision and all that, which is one of the really fun things, I think, about craft beer as an economist, because otherwise you would just be very simple. You know, you just go find the cheapest beer you can that, you know, is tasty and and off you go. Yeah. It's only the beer itself, but it's not only the beer itself. I think that's very clear. That's one of the things that has caused Anheuser-Busch so much trouble, right? Uh, If it was just as easy as making a a beer that tastes a certain way, um, then they would have dominated, but that's not what people want. So I think it's I think this is just yet another another really strong uh, uh, expression of the fact that people are buying this beer not just for the liquid inside. Hundred percent. I think this is the great lesson of COVID is is the connection that customers have to their breweries, um, which is clearly far more profound than we understood. Even though we 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 believed it was there, uh, I think <laughs> the the degree to which it you know, buoyed uh, breweries like like Vertigo and and uh, basically every brewery in the country. Very few failed over the last year when when so many restaurants and other businesses failed. It's just it's a remarkable story, and I think in some ways we haven't really drilled down and figured out what that mechanism is and why it's so why that relationship is so sticky in a way that it's not with other other consumer goods. Uh, but it clearly is, and it's it's prof- it's a profound relationship which kind of blows my mind when I think about it. Yeah, but I think this is I, I and uh, I think that in COVID, uh, I've seen a lot of like it's the same thing with like local local restaurants and stuff. I think people have really come out to support uh, businesses that they can identify with, like you know your local pizzeria. You know the guys who work in there, or the uh, uh, or the uh, the people who work in there. Uh, I'm just sorry, using my own example because I have a pizzeria down the end of the block. There. Yeah. Uh, right. But I mean, people are really coming out strongly and trying to support those types of business, I think, because it's it's personal, right? It becomes it's less of a business transaction, more of a personal transaction. You want those people to survive. You feel, you know, you feel the pain of those people. And I would just like to echo uh, the thing that Mike said at the end, which is it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. So I hope people don't just uh, start moving away quickly. I mean, I think these 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 businesses are going to need your support for a little while longer. Uh, so, so keep doing it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'd like to echo it. I think that there are a lot of breweries have taken on more debt and, and weakened themselves in ways that is not evident to the customer who just sees that the shingle is still on the, the, the outside of the building. Um, right. And, right. you know, over the next year or two, these breweries are going to, it's going to be 
that that'll be the, or the real test. Like, can you know they 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 went into debt and they 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 did everything they could to stay open, and they're betting that things will come back, and and uh, so customers are going to need to continue to support their breweries, their favorite breweries, yep. uh, going forward. Yep. Okay, well, thanks Zach and Mike for the uh, contributions to the mailbag. Um, a few words going out. Please subscribe to us on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to jeff at beervonablog.com or on Twitter at beervonapod. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog, and he tweets at Beervana. And Patrick tweets at Beernomics. Happens every once in a while. Yeah, it does. Oh. I, I, I notice. I, I notice you tweet, and sometimes you even get on the Beerbana Pod tweet and and trash talk me, which is always fun. So keep that up. <laughs> yeah, which by the way has the new logo on there. So good job. That's nice. Excellent. Oh, by the way, we we're we're, uh, we're testing uh, swag. So look for that soon. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, the first one that I went through, I wasn't super satisfied with the quality. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm wearing the T-shirt. By the way, I didn't mean I meant to mention that that I'm wearing the the beer Vana pod t-shirt and yes i agree i'm not sure we found uh, uh people expect uh crap podcasts from us but i would like to give them quality merchandise exactly if they're spending actual money they probably don't want to be <laughs> yeah. they don't want something as crappy <laughs> the, as the three but it's gonna yeah. <laughs> but it's gonna be actual one. all right well uh cheers jeff cheers patrick